Hey everybody, this is Richie from the Metal Cell Podcast. I want to give a shout out, first of all, to our main sponsor, Rising Suns, the award-winning brewery in Cork. If you're in and about the city, be sure to call in for some gorgeous pints. I want to welcome True Home to the podcast. I've got Declan and Charlie with me. How are we, lads? We're very good. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on. This came out of a conversation, if my memory serves me correctly, up in Belfast at Crypto the Riff. It was, yes. Um, I think it was um, Fornoth and Tombs were playing up there. Um, yes. And it, uh, we approached you afterwards. Because um, Charlie was on uh, the podcast uh, a few months ago with Fornoth. Um, yeah. Charlie is, uh, in addition to being the drummer of True Home, he's also the guitarist of Fornoth. Uh, he's a very multi-talented man, so he is. Oh, and a nice guy as well. <laughs> and a lovely chap. We can, we can throw that in now. <laughs> Haven't met him in person a few times. Like. <laughs> that time we met up, Dick. Yes. Are you an avid metal fan? You go to many gigs, like up to Belfast was, I know it wasn't as mm. half the journey that <clears throat> I had to persevere with. Like, but uh... Yeah, I mean, so I would, you know, I've been into metal since I was like, 13 um 14 um kind of started uh as we all did with like the likes of metallica and slayer and very much in the thrashing uh and then when i was about i want to say like 16 or 17 <clears throat> i discovered the band sleep um and then got charlie onto them uh and that was kind of a real kind of eye-opening moment and kind of went down this big huge doom rabbit hole um but in terms of like going to metal shows it's like one of my favorite pastimes to do. Yeah. It's it, there's this kind of adrenaline to it of you know being in a big crowd and and just whether or not it's like a moshing show or just everyone just standing and doing their own thing. There's something about being in front of yeah. a wall of amplifiers and a pounding drummer just shaking a room that is just unmatched by any other activity that you can do. So I try to go to as many metal shows as I can. Um, there's a few coming up <clears throat> this year that I'm very excited about. Like, um, like, um, uh, is it, um, bong ripper? Oh uh, yeah. 10 ton slug. And like weed eater. And, and slung from a tree as well. Slung from a tree as well. <laughs> That'd be just um, insane. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's a good year for doom. It's a very it good year for doom. It is. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so for anybody that doesn't know True Home, I suppose, is it psychedelic metal? We've struggled to define it's what our music is. It's hard to define is. it. And there's yeah. ambience and there, there's drone. There, there's, there's a lot of uh, stuff that I personally like, I will mm. admit. And um, it mightn't be everybody's cup of tea either. But I think there is a scene that is healthy enough in Ireland to sustain the likes mm. of E and a few other bands. Would that be fair enough? Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, you know, in terms of describing the sound, I think the best way to describe it would be ambient psychedelic doom metal yeah. uh, would be the best way to describe it. Um, and yeah, I think especially in the past, like, um, <clears throat> like three or four years, there's been a resurgent in a sense of experimental heavy bands that, yes, because <clears throat> I mean, like we, we struggle to even define ourselves as metal because I mean we play with a lot of <clears throat> we play with a lot of metal bands, but when you put us next to uh, even bands like Fornoth or um, even the likes of Tombs who we played with, there's such a difference in like the level of aggression. <clears throat> but I feel that um, 
you know, especially a lot of modern bands in Ireland, bands like uh, Gilla Band, Enola Gay, Whale, they are bands that would definitely be considered extremely heavy and experimental and like pushing the boundaries of, you know, conventional heavy music. <clears throat> but none of those bands would ever be considered metal. And I think it's what I love about the Irish scene at the moment is that it's becoming more inclusive of experimental bands yeah. and bands that don't just, you know, tune down to see and go dun, 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 da, 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 for, you know, a half hour set. You know, I, I personally think that um, the scene in general is moving more towards uh, an atmospheric uh, element of it in all aspects of heavy music, be it um, kind of your more psychedelic doom or your ambient black metal. Yeah. I think yeah. the the scene in general is going more in that direction as opposed to just pure like riff focus the whole way through, which yeah. I think overall is a very good thing because uh, yeah. I'd be very extremely influenced by <clears throat> ambient music, the likes of uh, Brian Eno, um, uh, as well as um, the kind of more uh, like tape and modular uh, focus acts like Amulets and, uh, and Heinbach and Suzanne Chiani. And I think in general, the kind of music scene worldwide is the cassette tapes as well. Yes, Charlie. <laughs> there is this one cassette tape. Um, the Metal Cell yeah. has always championed diverse bands. Absolutely. Um, I, I've absolutely. always had them on the show and um, long may that continue. I'm open minded enough to welcome any type of music in, into this show. 100%. Barrett and, and like... That's no. one of the things. <laughs> and country and Western, they can go uh, fuck yeah. themselves. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure, I think <clears throat> one one night we were playing in in Fibers downstairs, the night that um, uh, Garth Brooks was playing in Dublin. And, um, and <laughs> that was supposed and, to be a headline show, wasn't it? Sorry? That was supposed to be our headline show. I don't think so. I think that was when we were playing for uh, Snowblind. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But... Um, no, the uh, the Garth Brooks show, just trying to navigate city centre. Oh, with, that would be hell. With, with hundreds and thousands oh of God. cowboy hats and and people just getting completely lost. And oh. it was a right nightmare. That that night Horrendous. made us really hate country and Western fans. The country was just transformed into these fucking hat wearing cowboys from everywhere, descending into Dublin. Nightmarish. Like they're buying hats on like the top of O'Connell Street off these like vendors on the street, uh, and they're all like, and weird. The yeah. Pink cowboy hats, yeah. Just, <laughs> but like what you're doing, I suppose like the, the biggest justification for what you have achieved so far would be getting to the semi-finals of Metal to the Masses mm. and getting an invite onto the Siege of Limerick. I mean, like two huge, massive. Thumbs up there for mm. for ye um, individually and as a band, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think <clears throat> so. For um, melt the masses, um, we did it uh, the first year, and uh, and it was a it was a very great experience for us. Um, I think we also got to the semifinals um, last year through the uh, the wild card card night. Um, but okay. I think with last year. I think that was our second ever the the first round was our second ever gig after like three years um the first one being 
uh, down in Cork for uh, following the signs. <laughs> the one I was at, yeah. The one that you were at. You were at the, the first True Home show to five people. <laughs> For um, sake. <laughs> but, um, sure, so, yeah, go on, Charlie. I'm just making sure that it worked because, like, you have to understand mm. that we've been a band for, like, two or three years at this point and had, like, released, we had two albums. We'd released two albums at that point and played one show. <laughs> when we played one show, we're like, okay, let's just see if it works, see if it actually we can do it live. And we did it live and it worked really well at the time, I thought. Mm. Okay, then the pandemic happened, obviously we couldn't really do anything then. Yeah. We can come back and... We'd uh, say for somebody now that's, that hasn't heard you or seen you, you will be listening to True Home in mm. the next 10 minutes. I'll be playing clips of them anyway. But the live entity of ye mm. is Declan basically on bass and vocals, Charlie's on drums. And is there much of an effect range as in synths or have you got the drones going yes. through the, so, the noise? So, uh, I am glad you asked. <laughs> Let's see it. So so we have my modular synthesizer here. Ah, class. And so what that is doing is it is essentially um, it's using a uh, a tape-based sampler to recreate this Indian drone Instrument mm -hmm. called a a, a tampora, um, which basically just the idea is that in Indian classical music it just plays uh, the root and the fifth note of a chord, and then the singer or the accompanist would or the main melodic instrument would uh, perform uh, a solo uh, or a raga around that, and so it would be this kind of bass line. Uh, just consistent drone going through the whole thing. And so was we that, sample. Was that the sound deck in the first four songs it of, is, yeah. of the Sun Temple? Yeah. No, actually. So for the Sun Temple, yeah. uh, so for the Sun Temple, we hadn't yet implemented the modular synths. So for the first album, we got um, a four track cassette recorder. And what I did was on each of the four tracks, I recorded a different like loop of either ambient guitar or synthesizers. And so when at the beginning of the show, I would fade in the tracks at different levels. So you'd hear this evolving, growing uh, drone that was just coming from a, a cassette player. Um, and so in terms of like the setup on stage, it's very much a case of, you know, half the time we're just trying to get the the drone zone as it were uh which is the collection between the the modular synthesizer and the tape machine to kind of get them in tune get them all set up getting to the pa uh yeah. sounding all well um and we have that sound going from the second that we start the show we fade it in and then it only turns off when we have finished the last song okay. and everything fades down the lights go down so through the entire show, there's no point where the stage is silent. It's, it's yeah. a complete wash of sound. And that's something that we wanted like straight from the beginning. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think we had one rehearsal, one writing session without it at the very beginning. And for the second one, I brought it in and we were like, we're just never going to get rid of this thing. We have to use it for every <laughs> single performance. Yeah. And who's in control of that? Is it Charlie or? That would be me. You, you, you trigger it. And is it a tough situation in relation to setting the whole thing up, as you alluded to there, with getting the right, maybe ambient sound to rise over the bass? Or is it, does it kind of sit somewhere between the bass and the drum? Or? So in terms of... Um, like the setup, the main thing is just getting it in tune because it's very okay. finicky being all analog and all that. Um, but in terms of the 
position that it is in the mix, uh, it works out really well because the the drone itself is a very high pitched drone. I would not high pitched, but it's occupying the areas of the mix that say the guitar would typically fill okay. in a band. So because we're primarily just drums and bass, it means that the bass is kind of occupying this low end energy and then when we kick into the distortion that fills in the the upper harmonics but right. the drone as it were fills in uh those spaces for the uh the quieter part of the songs the verses where it is more ambient and then the distorted guitar amps end up masking that in a sense so all the engineer has to do is get it up at a level that he's comfortable with when it's at a quiet volume and then when we go to a loud section or heavy section charlie will hit a lot harder and then i'm going to be pushing amps a lot harder and then naturally that makes the drone harder to hear so yes. it's kind okay. of this natural dynamic mixing of just us playing louder or quieter in the mix oh okay cool that's cool charlie you're going to be doing double duties uh, for siege with four Nut and true home Let's see how that goes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, like un unless you didn't pick it up, uh, Declan was saying that Charlie does a mixture of lead and rhythm with four knot and drums. It's more of it's not more of a rhythm guitar, lead guitar. It's more of a guitar one, guitar two situation. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's fair enough. How did you get into the drums, Charlie? Or what came first? Like drums is the first instrument I ever learned. Like I was okay. playing drums since eight. I only picked up the guitar when I was like fifteen. But uh, my brothers, my two brothers are like, they're both musicians. They both play guitar. But I think I remember my brother Nick showing me how to play drums. I was like, oh, this is, this is really cool. It's really loud. <laughs> it's really <laughs> loud. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a Charlie thing to say. <laughs> oh, it's cool. It's loud. I want to play loud. <laughs> yeah, on one works. But yeah, when I like, I went to a secondary school that like had a big emphasis on music. They had a really good drum teacher, uh, Eddie. Shout, shout out to Eddie, shout out to Eddie yeah. and Mr. Kyo as well. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge emphasis on music in that school, and uh, because of that, I kind of progressed my drumming skills. That's how I actually met Declan. Declan went to the same school as me. He was the year above me, but like, huh. he, he was Declan was like the metalhead of the school. And when I started getting into metal, I was like, okay, I gotta be friends with this guy, and we gotta like start a band because I knew he played bass, and there was this other guy that played guitar. So I kind of Barham got a shout out, Barham. Shout out, Barham. Um, and actually, it's funny because we, True Home started off because uh, we, myself, Charlie, and, and this guy, Baram, who, by the way, phenomenal blues guitarists, um, just absolutely top-notch guy. Um, and we were playing in this three-piece, um, I guess you would describe it as a garage, blue, garage yeah, blues metal kind of type cool, thing. Okay. Yeah, and... Um, and eventually he just kind of got too busy because he started studying medicine. Um, and so he kind of stopped showing up to practice. And um, eventually we kind of uh, rekindled um, the kind of jamming aspect of it. Because um, yeah. literally it was for me and this uh, guitarist on our lunch break, we would just go up to the music room. I'd get a bass, he'd get a guitar, and we'd just jam for you know half an hour yeah. and just do that over lunch. And one day Charlie walked in and was like, do you guys want a drummer? And we were like, yes, please. <laughs> I was terrified going into that room. 
Guys, you want a drummer? <laughs> oh, guys. So, so when did you actually start creating demos? Like, that's true home. Yeah, it's true home. So that was. Uh... <laughs> we had this incident. Basically, because like when we this was like 2018, I think we'll be playing together in the, our old band with that, but with Barham. When Barham wouldn't show up, me and Declan would always be playing together anyway, just drums and bass. And we always had this, like, you know, our pocket was deep, if you know what I mean. Mm. We, we would just jam for hours and hours, yeah. And so we kind of were like, oh, we should start a band together, just drums and bass, but we didn't really know what to do or anything like that, so we kind of left it. And then one day I went to my ex-girlfriend's house and Jacqueline was there and he got way too drunk, way too quickly. And I was like <laughs> back before not practice and I showed up and <laughs> I like knocked on the door and my girlfriend opens the door and Declan's on the couch with a bit of like a bucket. <laughs> Jesus. And, I, and I'm I'm there so past that that like I'm waking up to vomit, then chugging uh, water, vomiting yeah. that again, and then passing out for another 20 minutes. Like when I got there, that all happened and that was funny. But Declan was like in a constant state of waking up and passing out. And I like took a laptop and I just started playing Ohm. Band Ohm is like the, the bass player from Sleep. Uh, and the drummer of Sleep. That's Sleep. right, yeah. It's like this jam based, you know, also ambient kind of meditative rhythm stuff. And it's really good. And I was just basically play, played their whole discography. You played the entire discography. It's like five hours. Yeah, trying like, to cure you. Like kind of waking up when- Curing my soul, cleansing. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> like waking up, I was like, oh, that's really good. And then when I finished the discography, we kind of looked at each other and we were like, we got to do something like this. We got to <laughs> yeah. do this, man. We got to do this. It has to be like this, not exactly like this, but we'll make it yeah. our own. Um, And then so, that was, I think, that must have been early 2019. Yeah, it was. That that event, yeah. Because um, I just come back from a, a, a three-week trip from India, um, uh, in, uh, in, in which okay. I spent... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, One if you had to be. <laughs> <laughs> and I was um, guessing Declan, but anyway, you beat me to the punch. But, right. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. It's, 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 it's an obvious joke, but yeah, I did legit you know, go backpacking across India. Yeah. Um, and I did find a man who cleansed my chakras with a Tibetan singing bowl, which did actually happen. Um, but uh, so I, I like spent the entire trip listening to Ohm and that was late 2018. Mm -hmm. And so we got together in kind of early to mid 2019. And we just sat in a room uh, with a little portable recorder and just jammed for like four or five hours. And in that time we wrote um, like eighty percent of the first album and the entire second album in that one sitting. Wow! Okay. Um, and then the other tracks uh, on that first album that we didn't write on that first day of jamming, we wrote and recorded at the same time in the studio live to tape. Wow! And it was, it was, it was, is it was that a very your background anyway? Tech sound engineering is it? Yeah. So I um did a course uh, in music production, um, which I got a lot out of. Uh, it was a very good experience. And that's why uh, he sounds so sexy tonight. That's, that's those, why I have the nice radio voice, yeah. Yes, those velvety tones, <laughs> yeah, showing us all up. Anyway, go um, on. <laughs> so I um, kind of, um, you know, got used to recording a bunch of different bands, um, including the likes of Fornoth um, on an EP that uh, literally nobody involved is happy with anymore. 
but um well, yeah, that's the one we don't talk about yes. that's the one we don't talk about uh, yeah, no yeah, yeah. but um and then i went on to record um charlie's solo black metal album uh, as well as john's uh john from fornoth his uh solo ambient doom project as well and a bunch of different bands mm. and i kind of said to myself because i did uh, a very brief module um about live sound and thought to myself all right this seems pretty cool might look into this and then i got a call um one summer to be like hey we need an engineer to work at electric picnic is anyone available and i was just the first person to answer the call so I went down and just worked uh, as an audio engineer at Electric Picnic as like my first ever like proper gig um, as an audio engineer. I was like, this is amazing. This is fantastic. Okay, as soon as I'm finished this music production degree, I'm going to go out and I'm going to try to be a live audio engineer. And I graduated in April of 2020 when live gigs weren't really a thing anymore. (laughs) So so I... um, took some uh time off i um studied music business as well and then i um kind of as soon as covid was lifting i uh started this course that i'm finishing in a few uh months time uh specifically in audio uh live audio lighting and visuals and stage design um and that's very much the kind of yeah it's that's the path you've chosen now really full-time musician sound working engineering absolutely like i i have done some awful jobs um <laughs> stacking shelves overnight in in dun stores and the likes yeah and um and i you know had a moment where i said to myself i literally don't want to do anything that does not involve music and i don't care if that's um you know being on stage or being behind a production desk or being on a live crew now obviously i would like it if i could make comfortable uh, comfortable living from true home but you know um it doesn't exactly pay the rent so the the kind of game plan is to you know live comfortably from doing um live audio and live lighting and then also use those connections to help aid true home um in whatever way it can yeah yeah so when he released the debut album the sun temple in 2020 Mm. Who did the engineering, mixing, mastering? So I uh, produced that record and then I mixed and mastered it. Um, And then I had a a friend of mine um, who basically sat in and uh, hit the record button because for that album, it was very much a case of we took a solid hour just setting up the drums, setting up the bass, setting everything up. And then once we were all ready, we hit record and then we just played the album from front to back okay. in one take. Um, and then at the end, we were like, cool, now we just got to, you know, cut up it into different songs and then mix and master it and off we go. Yeah. And the title True Home then that came from the first song. So the, the title True Home, um, it is a quote from, uh, from a the man. The sound of the bell is the voice of the Buddha from within, calling you back to your true, your true home. home. <laughs> you go home to yourself with every breath you breathe in. I listen when you breathe out. You say, this is wonderful. <laughs> that this wonderful sound brings me back to my true home. This actually is a funny one because it kind of came... It's cool. I like it. Uh, so, so that is a quote from a man named Tishnahan. Okay. Um, and Tishnahan <clears throat> was this... Um, this Buddhist monk um, from Vietnam who 
uh, had to flee the Vietnam War when he was very young, and he basically would be considered the like modern kind of like figurehead for mindfulness and kind of modern meditation. Um, and so he uh, came up with this term called your true home. And the idea being that when he was fleeing Vietnam, he had to leave <clears throat> his original home and was very distraught about that. But then he, through years of meditation, realized that his true home was within him the whole time. Um, and so it's a nice message, man. It, it, it's a lovely message. And on the night of, quote unquote, the incident, um, <laughs> myself and Charlie were talking and we realized that we both listened to his like three hour YouTube talks uh, to help fall asleep, just independently of each other, yeah. just <laughs> randomly having to be listening to the same Buddhist monk uh, on YouTube. <laughs> and the team of the album then, the Sun Temple, it, it, it seems to me it's a journey uh, mm. spiritually and mentally and physically Absol even. Absolutely. So um, th there is a, a, a very loose kind of plot of it. Of it's more thematic uh, as yeah. a as a quote unquote concept album, but it's about this man who's traveling around and he's kind of lost uh, spiritually, mentally, and he meets this guru on the side of the road, and he basically tells him, "You need to climb to that mountain over there." And basically, the album is him climbing up to the mountain and the the struggles that he has and and finding which path to go down, uh, and he finally reaches the summit where he breaks through and finds enlightenment. And then you know, sit there. He sits there and, and meditates on the the struggles that he's come through, and he lets it all pass through the wind. And then he slowly descends from the mountain, having gained enlightenment. Yeah, what we call the astral nomad. So, so, so like in that, that album, he is the astral nomad, and yeah, in the nice. the third album, he because he ascends from the astral nomad into the astral knot. He. <laughs> Where he, um, not to spoil the album, but at the end of the the new album, uh, this character has decided that he has uh, traveled everywhere, spreading his message, and he has done everything that he needs to do on the physical world. So he decides to meditate to death, and you slowly hear his body, his soul, leave his body and transcend into nirvana. Wow! It's it, go, it's, it's a very fun <laughs> band to write. Bringing the you. message to the metalheads. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Out of that album, there's, there's two or three songs um, in particular that, are, that I love, but the middle ground for me, uh, that song is yeah. absolutely fantastic. Um, you're, you're, you're one of two people who uh, have highlighted the middle ground as being one of their favorites. The other one being uh, my friend Mira, who is the engineer for the first album. So ah, okay. there you go. We found a second fan for that song. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I always go for fucking weird songs and shit like that. And there's a history of me on the show being criticized for the forums. So I'm going, why did you go for that fucking section? Because no, I, I love the middle ground. I think it's a great song. Yeah. Oh. Good, that's good. So <laughs> you have graced me with two to three new songs, if we can get three in Happy Days. But mm. it's why well, you're on mostly is to promote this new album, The Black Lotus. And it's mm -hmm. it's coming out. When have you set for roughly? So uh, we have it set for a May release schedule. OK, cool. And what I love about this is you have landed with Course Monk Records as well. Big shout out to Raj, which, yes. is, which is really great to hear. We're, we're delighted to um, be working with Course Monk Records. We've been hearing so much about them for so long. And um, and we got onto Tombs. Uh, we just asked Tombs, you know, what's your experience like working with Curse Monk? And they said, um, 
absolutely amazing things. So we were like, all right, let's reach out and uh, see if we can get a release with them. And yeah, we're super happy um, with the relationship that we've built up with Curse Monk. And we're really excited to put out what, in our opinion, is our best album to date um, with a reputable uh, record label. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to play the first track. It's the opening track as well. Mm. Uh, Cry of the Mountain Hawk. So we'll give it a blast here. Like it's always difficult to pick out a one minute clip of it, mm. but that gives people the vibe of it. Uh, great opening track. Uh, is mm. that going to be a single? That is. Um, we're going to be uh, recording a music video for it in about two weeks time. Yes. Okay. Um, we, you know, it's one of those songs where um, I think we jammed it out in uh, in rehearsal and kind of with like a dr- like machine a drum machine to it and i was like yeah lose a drum machine but the, 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 no, the it's like class yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so i think with this one um because the way that we write 90 percent of our music is we'll go and do a, a like a rehearsal for a gig and as soon as we get everything set up we just start jamming and just you know make shit up and um and usually you know i try to record it and so yeah. i came i was just listening through old demos and I found, you know, in the middle of like a 20 minute jam, I just found that bam, 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 I found that riff and I was like, that's just a song right there. Yeah. And um, and then like the chorus as well is um, is something that we've been like, it's a riff that we've been jamming on kind of uh, in live jams for about a year now and just kind of throwing it in now and then. Um, but we felt that I... It kind of worked well as like a chorus riff and so we literally just took a riff from a jam and then a riff that we've been jamming for years and just put them together and we were like that it's just a fucking powerful song and yeah it it's is. it's not really we're not really kind of banned to go for like you know quote-unquote lead singles like most of our tracks are usually like you're eight to nine minutes long kind of mm-hmm. very um abstract they, they work better live as opposed to like for a single format but this was one where we were like do you know what <coughs> If it works as a single, let's just make it a single. Yeah, I it, think. Sorry, Terry, go on. Kind of says it all. It sets up the rest of the album. Ah, I'm, yeah, one hundred percent. But you're going to be pulling in people that like. Um, I, I, 
I just love there's a vibe of the sword off mm. that and and they're one of my favorite bands out there. But uh, you're gonna be pulling in fans, band. fans of sleep, Conan, you know, hundred percent elder, Yob, they're all mm. out there, man. So you'd hope that they'd it would get to them and it'll be shared through a few different Spotify playlists and YouTube channels. There's like YouTubers out there that are are really big time into their doom and stoner vibes. So hopefully it'll get Absolutely. to them. We'll, we'll, we'll send it on to doesitdoom.com. Yeah, <laughs> there you go, man. And there's a few great Facebook groups as well. Oh, we've, we've been posting to a lot of them. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. So like that side of it is you're, you're on the ball with merchandising. You don't seem to have that yet, but first so, of all is to get the, the music out to the masses. Absolutely. Um, in terms of merch, so we have, uh, we've been basically from the start doing tapes of our albums uh, and we're planning on continuing that with the new album. Okay, uh, cool. There it is as well. I have a stack of them in a box somewhere. Nice. Um, Charlie just has the one, um, which I believe, <laughs> yeah, go on. And the Sun Temple is over there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Um, but uh, so we're going to be doing uh, another cassette release for the new album. And then we're okay. also... Um, looking into doing t-shirt designs because for the album artwork for the new album it's very um precise very um who designed that actually so that was me uh on ms paint at 3 a.m after about five cans (laughs) (laughs) so um so we need to get it sent off to a proper graphic designer to do a proper job on it but um uh the idea being that once we have that kind of down and set up uh we're gonna make t-shirts of that and one of the ideas that we have is to have one variation which is a black t-shirt and the kind of the white logo as it appears on the album and then do a variation as like a white t-shirt but with black text and then we're going to take those white t-shirts and tie-dye them and then that's going to basically be like for the the two different types of true home fans there's the the doom fans and the kind of the psychedelic ambient kind of fans so the idea being that if you're more into the the psychedelic mm. aspect of True Home, you can get the the trippy hippie T-shirt. Yeah. But if you yeah. like the more Doom side, you can get your your standard metal format kind of black T-shirt. And the title Black Lotus. So Black Lotus, uh, that's kind of just something that uh, just came to me because I think somebody mentioned um, like um, the show White Lotus or something. I've been obsessed with it. So, <laughs> so, Absolutely so, brilliant. So, I admittedly have not seen the show. I, I it probably should um, at some point, but um, that kind of idea was, you know, implanted into my head. And then I thought, well, what about a black lotus? And then it kind of it kind of then evolved into this <clears throat> idea of, you know, something that's, you know, dark and and almost like decaying, but still has a lot of beauty in it. Um, and very much so, uh, I felt like that related to the album because on the one hand, it is like our heaviest album in terms of uh, like the tone and like the message. I mean, the album ends with a man meditating to death. It is (laughs) a very heavy album as, and it's one of those things where it's heavy, but then also in that last song, while it's about somebody, you know, dying, it's this beautiful ambient piece of music. That's like, transcendent and its beauty in the darkness and kind of that kind of idea kind of resonated with the the idea of a black lotus and at that point we kind of just um said all right let's do this i think you're actually very good at doing that contrast you know Mm -hmm. a song like uh, the speed of life 
that's a great example of light and darkness as well. And mm. and you've continued it on to better and finer detail in in this album, which actually still nobody has heard. But the ascension <laughs> of the astronaut, that's like 19 minutes long, 1944. It is. It, it, and it's an epic journey I mean someone meditating to that oh 100% and like it it starts off the first five minutes are extremely chill and kind of you know you're hearing somebody walk through a forest as um this uh sample of a uh a Tibetan death meditation plays in the background yeah and you just you know you're there and you're hearing this lovely drone and then you hear this voice say Imagine that you're in the bed you want to die in at the age you want to die at as your arms and legs start to decay. But don't be worried. This is just a sign that death is coming. <laughs> and you just like, and, and then it hits you with like the, the heavy section for about like, um, like seven or eight minutes. And then the last, uh, like five or six minutes is just this beautiful, like ambient interlude that we just, you know, I, I think we even added that like fairly late on in production, but um, way way later on than after we wrote, after we actually like recorded it. But yeah. um, we 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 felt that it needed an extra something. Yeah, that ambient interlude, like then your solo stuff, you can hear some of that in, we'll say, "Rest Assured" of Heine <laughs> Gogia, "The Wayfarer" of Forgotten Ghosts, and "Aquatic Meditation" of the Ambient Tape Collection. There are three songs for me that. Mm. That you can actually connect with True Home. The Forgotten yeah. Ghost album is mostly uh, upright piano uh, recorded to tape machine through a modular synthesizer. And very much wanted to have that kind of beautiful eeriness to it, mm. um, which then kind of translates over to um, True Home. Although I will say, I you mentioned a lot of song names there, and I have no idea what songs you're talking about <laughs> because because <laughs> I write so much music and like the software is like name the song and i'm like oh whatever and i'll just type something <laughs> in and name it and then it comes to release it'll be like right there you go yeah. and then somebody like that will say like oh i love your song rest assured and i'm like hang on, give me a minute to listen i don't know what song you're talking about <laughs> oh this song yeah oh yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah you definitely know wayfarer anyway and i do i do that's that is one of my favorites meditation aquatic meditation yeah that's another one that um i had a lot of fun making yeah. um Again, that whole album was uh, just done uh, to tape with a modular synthesizer, and it was just um, a fun kind of experiment to see, you know, how far it can take this idea of kind of um, long twenty-minute ambient pieces, um, and then um, that then ties into because it was mostly a preparation for my next ambient album, uh, Analog Meditations, which is twenty-four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> and I tried uh, to yes. upload it the other the other week to Spotify, and it told me that I can't upload a single album that's longer than ten hours. So I'm gonna have to break it up into three separate ones, which oh, is shit. annoying. <laughs> but but you know, apparently we're just not ready for a ten hour al album, <laughs> let alone a twenty four hour one. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna play the second track off the album. This is uh, the Great Journey.
Charlie, have you the benefit of a click track in any of these songs? No. No, I probably no. guessed that. <laughs> we we decided very early on that we were going to be a very anti-click track kind of band. Okay. We weren't, it's not that we weren't anti-click track, is that we never, like, since we've been like 15, 16, we've just been playing together. We don't play the clicks. We just jam out. So we say, you know, let's just play the way we play in the studio and just make it like organic. Not to say that I have anything against click tracks. Obviously not. You know, you'd be yeah. an idiot. Actually, have something against them, but we just <laughs> went down the direction that, like, you know, let's do it our way and our exactly. way. Exactly. Like, like for us, like, there's a look that I'll give Charlie where I'm like, all right, we're gonna slow down now to like the the slow down speed. And when we do that, we all know the exact tempo that we're gonna slow down okay. by the amount that we're gonna slow down by. Yeah. And you know, we've just been because we've been jamming together for eight years, so we've just and. In- it, <laughs> exactly and in, in a context where you know it was just writing songs in the middle of a jam so we just gotten used to being able to just give someone a look and be like all right we're gonna go to the next section now and that's how we write songs that's how we play half the time when we're mm-hmm. live because i mean like no two true home songs are ever the exact same because like we get bored playing the exact same stuff uh exactly as it is on the record and even because you know, on the record, half the sub is improvised as well. So it's very much an improvised kind of band where, yeah. you know, whatever happens, happens. Um, you also understand that, like, when we when we were, like, recording an album, like, Declan, I'm at the drum set, and Declan is over on the other side of the room over there. Yeah. Like, there's not really any, you know, if I wanted to do it to a clear track, I'd do it to myself. I'd record the drum part first, and then Declan would play bass, and we said, no, we don't want to do that because we want to get the feel from each other of what's yeah. going to happen. Like, like it, it, we want it to feel like two people in a room. Yeah, it is. And it's that, I suppose, like back in, and you have to give a shout out, like to the kind of 60s type of vibe that's going through it as 100%. well. 100%. And I mean, these lads had no click tracks. They were just watching each other and they'd, mm. they'd actually go with the vibe. And if the song changed, the song changed. It didn't fucking matter, man. Exactly. And, and you know, I think one of the things that I hate about modern music production i say modern because you know that's the the term but the idea that everything has to be perfectly to a click track everything needs to be perfectly auto-tuned and and like perfectly edited to be exactly a lot of those bands deck or cut out live exactly exactly and like for us like we use like you know i for most of my projects um you know i'll have like a round of like editing a live take and then there's mixing it separately and with true home there's maybe like like five minutes of editing where i'm like oh the amp is like hissing at the end mm-hmm. where it should just be a quiet fade out so i'll just fade that out or yeah. or something it's there's literally no like editing of like oh we'll take this section and we'll duplicate it here and then we'll time align it here it's just what you listen to on the record is what it sounded like in the room yeah, and you recorded it in Windmill Lane Studios, one of the yeah, most famous so, studios in Ireland. Yeah. Um, so for the first, um, the first cool. two records, um, it was a case where I was um, studying music production in that studio, um, and so as a student of that, I had the opportunity to go in and uh, and record in it. And then for the new album, which we also recorded in Windmill Lane in the same room, it was a case where we were playing a show. Uh, in the upstairs of Workman's and um, some guy Owen uh, came up to us and was like that was amazing um, Declan I know that you studied uh, in Win Malame I'm also studying there um, oh. I need to record a band for my final year oh assignment my God. Perfect. Can, I re- 
can yeah. I record, you know, one of your guys' songs? And I was like, yeah, sure, sounds great. And I mentioned this to Charlie and he was like, well, why don't we just record the whole album in three yeah. hours? There's Charlie, like, that's, that's why you need Charlies in the band. <laughs> Opportunists. Exactly. Char- Charlie, you know, one of his most important roles in the band is whenever I get a crazy, wild idea, he needs to either tell me to stop immediately <laughs> or he's like, why have you not mentioned this sooner? <laughs> like, that, that's... But um, not to discredit his amazing drumming. Yeah, of course, yeah. And tape... Echo Records, is that your own label deck? Yeah, so that's... Um, oh, you have done your research. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, of course. <laughs> of course, as always. Um, yeah, so that's something that I kind of um, started... Um, and funny enough, it started when I was doing that um, music business course and I, um, you know, for one of my assignments, they were saying, all right, so let's, you know, start a hypothetical... Um, business in the music industry and like do a plan of how you'd sort it out. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, whatever, do a record label. And, um, and then because I was just releasing a lot of music at the time, whenever it came to like put up on, on Spotify and it was like, Oh, what record label? I was like, whatever, I'll do the, the joke record label that I did a hypothetical essay on. And then it just evolved over time and then, uh, ended up doing, uh, releases with, um, with True Home and then uh, with Physical Self with True Home as well as Charlie's Black Metal Project um, and John from Fornath, his project as well and just a couple of other things. So it's essentially just a place for, you know, uh, myself and my friends, whenever we record something that we just want to get out there in the world, we'll put it out under Tape Echo Records. Um, And it's just kind of a, a nice way of seeing a different side of the industry and kind of, um, I, I wouldn't say it's like the main thing that I focus on. It's more of if, uh, I'm, if I want to put out something physically, that's the name that I will do it under. Yeah. Um, as well as just what I label things as digitally. Yeah. And do you know what? It makes sense in a lot of ways, in a lot of mm. ways. It really and does. It, and the name Tape Echo Records just comes from the fact that I'm obsessed with tape machines yeah. and, and echo and delay and, and tape echoes in general. And it was just a funny name to come up with. So I just put it down and uh, it has not changed since. Okay. So what are you looking at there in relation to the Siege song selection wise? We have not thought about it at all. Okay. okay. Um, so am I guessing, have you given, been given an idea of what time length? So we don't know what time, but in general... Are you going to say budget for 30 minutes? We're we're assuming 30 minutes and kind of... um, Usually when we do like a a half-hour set these days with the new material, it usually starts off with... um, So with every show, we start off with a a little three-minute excerpt of Patience uh, (laughs) and then that at the beginning and the end as kind of a a little wink nod to the fans who know... Exactly. Exactly. but then, so we'll then go into climbing to the Sun Temple, which opened the first album. Yeah. Um, we usually be at the moment we're kind of going from that into uh, Cry of the Mountain Hawk, yeah. um, which is a nice kind of like follow up, big energy. Um, then going into either, uh, usually at that point we're going to um, it's the Great Journey after that, and then whenever we do a a half hour set, we then put in the um second last track on the new album uh Budam Sagnaram Gachami okay um and then we usually end with 
um, either um, descending from the mountain or the summit, okay. uh, depending yeah. on what we're going for. So it's usually yeah. a combination of those songs, and we kind of mixed around depending on the time slot. Yeah, um, yeah. For something like the siege, mm. no more the metal to the masses, which, which was a good, what would you say, maybe experience in relation to trying to win over a crowd. Yeah. Um, I've mm. I've seen bands hit the siege and not play their fucking strongest songs. And then mm. suddenly half the crowd are fucking off to the next band. Yeah. And, that's, and that's what you have to think about in relation mm. to the siege, because you will be getting plenty of attention down there. And look, look, there will be a lot of neutrals there that you'll have to grab by the throat. And I, 100%. I think just even what you said to me there is enough to keep them captivated there straight away. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we're playing at siege, you know, we're going to be so loud that people <laughs> off aren't going to be able to hear the other bands so they won't have a choice i mean so some, <laughs> somebody once told me once that's good fighting talk charlie exactly i'll be I there mean, personally to see it <laughs> we, we, we play very fucking loud i mean i play with i play through a bass amp and two guitar amps um oh, okay so are you sorry decament ask as well are you using the thunderbird the whole time so uh the thunderbird change? we use that on the uh, the new album, um, is like, it's it's technically Charlie's uh, has to be said. Um, <laughs> but so um, the first album was recorded on um, a Tobias Four Deluxe, um, which is, in my opinion, uh, it's my favorite bass to play. It sounds fantastic. Um, okay. It's actually funny because um, the speed of life. Uh, requires a bass with 24 frets to play it. So we haven't been able to play it live for a while because we've been using the Thunderbird. Um, But so um, it was having some some technical issues, um, like the signal kept cutting out. So at one point I just said to Charlie, look, I'll just use your bass for a gig or two while I'm trying to get it fixed. Mm. Um, And then it was a case where I took it to a shop to get it repaired. Uh, I won't name names. Uh, I won't name and shame. But um, right. they uh, they said that they'd repair it. And, you know, it seemed all good in the shop, even though it was like three weeks later than they said it would be finished by. But, you know, whatever. Um, as long as it's already good. And then I got it about two days before we were playing our first ever headlining show. Um, oh. And it was all set of Charlie's there. Um, wincing and then groaning already, but um, <laughs> we got on stage and it was already a, a rough night to begin with. But we were like, "Look, if we can just get on stage and just play our hearts out, it'll be grand." And halfway through the uh, the second song, my bass just stopped making any noise altogether, and we had to use one of the spare basses um, that the audio engineer owned, and it was just a a disastrous situation. So from that moment on, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna." get the uh, Tobias Deluxe 4, I'm going to get that fixed, I'm going to get it back into working condition. Yeah. Um, and it's it's funny because switching between them, I now realized how much easier it is to play um, just without even thinking on the Tobias compared to the, the Thunderbird because it's just, it's the bass that I like taught myself how to play bass on like when I was a teenager. So it's the one that I'm most comfortable with and it just feels right. So yeah. if I have... I think the Thunderbird, the Thunderbird is probably heavier as well, is it? it it's physically heavier. It's yeah. larger as well. So yeah. it, it's just that extra little bit to worry about, especially because when 
I place my hands naturally where I think, you know, um, the the twelfth fret is going to be on the Thunderbird. That's actually the thirteenth fret. So, it it's very easy for me to accidentally play out of tune. But when I'm playing with the Tobias, it just feels so right in my hands. Where I can have strobes going in my face, I can have hair windmilling around, and I can have, you know, be two or three pints in, and I can still just, you know, if I turn my brain off and just put my hand where I think the 12th fret should be, it is always there. Yeah. And that that's something that is very important for True Home, that 12th fret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can we sneak in one more track, lads? Another I exclusive? Think we can. Okay, so this is Sailing the Sand Dunes. That's a, that's a that's a fun one. That was actually the first True Home song ever written. This was back when we were in that uh, that three piece, wow, and um, and it was one of the days when um, the guitarist just couldn't make it to practice, but we still wanted to jam anyway. Um, so after listening to a lot of uh, Sleep Second Album, um, mm. Holy Mountain, we just started jamming on the songs in it, and after about half an hour um the song dragonaut turned into that song just in the jam just messing around with it and we were like oh my god this is the best thing we've ever written oh but then it just didn't really fit that three-piece band because there's just nowhere for a guitar to mm. to sit comfortably in yeah. that because it's just such a, a busy song yeah. um but we've been throwing it in for like live jams um into because the the song sisyphus from the first album uh, that was literally one where at the end of the album we had everything recorded and then I just looked at Charlie and started playing a riff that he'd never heard before but he just started jamming along so that song on the record is us writing the song in the moment to tape but um, whenever we go to play it live I can't remember all the things that I improvised three yeah. years ago so we just that for us is our kind of jam song jam and song, so we yeah. would throw in that riff you know, towards the end as a kind of a, a fun kind of like, hey, here's a fun riff. And when it came <laughs> to doing the, the new album, we just wanted to uh, do it do it justice and make mm -hmm. it its own track. Um, yeah. But also holds the record on the album for the song with the, the most bass amps going at any one time. Cause, uh, so for, for most <laughs> of the album- And of course album, it's an instrumental as well. Just it, it's, it's an instrumental, must be yeah. said. Um, I think it's the only instrumental on the album. Um, but there is nine tracks of bass amp going on that one. Fuck. Now, now again, it's the one take, so it's the one. But I just reamped it, and and so we recorded it through through uh, three amps on the day, and then I put it through different um, 
like a couple of amp sims doing some weird stuff and then for one of the tracks I uh, put it through a an orange amp and a big uh, Cliff Burton signature of fuzz wah pedal to go <laughs> wah wah yeah. and just make it sound just Filthy. immense and huge because if there's no vocals on it it might as well be this monumental huge sound anyway <laughs> yeah exactly so the album is coming out again lads it's coming out in May May yeah and it's on Curse Monk Records. A big shout out to Monk. Roger for uh, taking you on board there, lads. It's, it's um, great news. He's also got us on to Monkfest uh, this year, July 1st, which we're nice. very excited about. Um, you know, I it, kind it, of it, have an idea of who's playing, but I'm not going to say it, obviously, until yeah, it's I'm, confirmed. I'm, I'm, but uh, it's an exciting lineup. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to reveal any names. Yeah, that's a real buzz to be on that um, Absolutely. Lineup. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so we're doing Monkfest, we're doing Melt the Masses, um, the semi Siege. So, Siege. so Siege is uh, 9th of April, Melt the Masses semi-final that we're playing at is the 22nd of April, uh, and then Monkfest is the 1st of July. Um, and then we have a few other things that might be coming down the Pipeworks, but again, we can't say anything yet. Yeah. Um, but uh, those would be the main uh, big gigs that are coming they're up the, for us. Yeah, they're the three confirmed anyway. The three confirmed, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, lads, listen, thanks a million for coming on the show and sharing those three new songs. I really no appreciate worries. that. Anytime. Yeah, you've been listening to Declan and Charlie of True Home. Give them some love. Check out their Bandcamp pages. Check out Declan's solo work as well. It's all there and it's on Spotify. It's different, it's but again, he's prolific, to put it mildly. And uh, great, <laughs> great musicianship, lads, right throughout the new album. And I wish you all the best with that. So, thanks a million again. That's one on the show. Thank you very much. Cheers. That was True Home and check them out in the Siege. Of course, that's probably where we're all going to be. We don't know what time slot they're on there yet. So that's something to look out for. And again, as I say, always to end the show, support your local medicine.